0: sports but we came here to win the most legit podcast that's why we know you're tuning in we cover the biggest news we underdogs but we can't lose so trust the process yes you because we got chris and anchu to bless you with the best features best stories we diving deep like a lambo wake up kid and stop snoring we on point just like this beat bring the passion like the talk pad. in the cold get a cold brown sit back and raise the cat because we start this show like right now
1: Welcome to this week's episode of the Underdog. I'm Chris Hordell, joined by Anshu Kana. Anshu, my friend, how are you today?
0: Chris, doing all right. How about yourself today?
1: You know, I'm, I'm doing good. I'm doing good. We had some stuff we talked about before the show that is uh, eating at my nerves a little bit, <laughs> but uh, yeah. but uh, good otherwise. And I I do uh, want to apologize. We are we're catching Anshu at a little bit of a weird time this week, and uh, he's got locked himself into a room that we know the the audio isn't the best it's ever been but you can you uh we can certainly get through it and remember this podcast is of course free
0: yes (laughs) that's right for now (laughs) soon to be a huge premium to get out of this echoey chamber that i'm in
1: oh man i can i tell you i hate that i hate these people hiding podcasts behind patreons and the premium podcast models i am so against that it's not even funny
0: yeah, we you can rest assured that that is not an avenue we're taking anytime soon, I think. <laughs>
1: well, well, we'll, well, I expect you're right, but uh, we're yeah. going to keep, keep all doors open for now. <laughs> hey, I, I wanted to talk to you about something that just started today, and it's another thing that I'm completely against. It's this new all-star voting system in Major League Baseball. How dumb is this?
0: Yeah, I, well, what exactly is the difference All right, what so it was he, like before?
1: Here we go. For those who aren't aware, uh, this is a two-part voting system rather than just what we had last year. The first okay. part of it is called the primary. That starts today at 2 p.m., presumably Eastern time. So I guess it's begun. Uh, mm-hmm. it's, the, it's your basic all-star voting system that we're used to. You can pick anybody, and that runs through June 21st. Now, After that, the top three vote getters at each position will then be placed on a new ballot called the starters election, from which fans then get to vote again during a single 28 hour period to decide who is actually going to start in the All Star game. The results get announced June 27th.
0: Interesting. Okay. So they tried to make it more like our political system, huh? Like with the primaries and.
1: Because that is absolutely perfect.
0: Right. Anytime you can. (laughs) Yeah. Anytime you can emulate politics, I think you just have to do it.
1: Yeah. I don't, I don't know. I don't like this. I I, I think it's probably to just create more fan engagement and let them feel like the guys they're picking at the end of this may actually get the chance to start rather than just picking Mm -hmm. random people who, you know, don't even finish in the top 10 of all-star voting at any given position. But I think it's stupid. You know, at what point are we just going to go to the electoral college Uh, you know, underdog has 14 electoral votes and we would like to put them towards Jose Altuve to start at second base.
0: Look, I, I'm all in favor of that. I think the electoral college has almost zero flaws. No, I, I, uh, I mean, I think this would actually make more sense in the NBA where you have like entire countries voting on their native son. That's true. And I mean, and so in this case, I think what the primary thing precludes is some random guy or like one specific fan base totally ushering their players in. But actually, you know, this doesn't really stop that either. So I don't know. This is, it's, it's weird. I don't know if I like it, but it's another, you know, media touch point, I guess, like over the course of the process that the MLB can go towards and announce and put on their network. So it makes sense from that perspective.
1: Yeah, you're right. Probably does make more sense in the NBA where we get these weird results where guys like Luka Doncic or Zaza Pachulia are voted as starters by the fans.
0: Right. Or like just fan favorites like Carter or whoever, right? Mm. Like players who aren't even playing and have voted as starters. So, yeah, I mean, that this is the way to allow the fans to feel like they are, you know, cutting down that group that could potentially play. But the reality is, I mean, if they are really choosing, then they're going to get the chance to keep voting those types of players in regardless of the league. So I'm, I'm interested to see if this actually changes the way it is or not. I, the one thing I did see was that, and this definitely is something basketball has and should continue to embrace, which is Mm -hmm. the idea of positionless, you know, players. So, you know, infielders versus outfielders are the only groupings you don't necessarily have like a shortstop, a second baseman. Yeah. So I think I, I like that because of the amount of shifting we have and the fact that, you know, players play a different position every day, it seems like.
1: I, I wonder if the players would be against that though, because mm. it would create a weird position where guys could potentially look bad. You know, let's say True. let's say four right fielders get voted <laughs> in that's and true. Somebody's got to go play center and they're probably not made for that.
0: Well, right now, so the way they have it, I think, is you have catchers, then four infielders and three outfielders. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I mean you could you could be in that spot. I could see that. Um but the other the more interesting perspective, which is the road I thought you were going down, is imagine four first basemen. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like you've got, you know, Jose Abreu at shortstop or something. I don't know. Something <laughs> random like that would be interesting to me.
1: Well, even more fun if you don't include the catchers as their own category.
0: Right. <laughs> yeah. But in that scenario, I'm not sure catchers like ever even get voted in because they're rarely statistically on the same level as, you know, their other positional counterparts. Oh, agreed.
1: And that's why it would be fun. You have but Manny, like Manny Machado behind the plate for the right. All-Star game. <laughs>
0: Well, Bryce has done it, right? We can throw him back there.
1: Well, I don't know that he warrants an All Star selection.
0: But, oh, uh, there it is.
1: Uh, look, I'm not, I'm not knocking Bryce. I'm, I'm, he's certainly trying. I think he's actually trying too hard and a little, and pressing a little bit too much right now, trying Agreed. to justify this giant contract. I'm not, I haven't turned against him by any stretch of the imagination, but that doesn't mean I think he deserves to be an All Star.
0: No, I, I tend to agree with you, um, but it would be fun because a lot of these guys did play catcher at one point I mean you'd have Mm. to think especially in high school that they would that it'd be fun to me but I think that yeah it could get old really quickly too and be a danger to the players yeah
1: you have to think pitchers are just calling their own pitches at that point too which is going to make it even harder because nobody's going to listen to like you know what Reese Hoskins has to say about what pitch should get called in a 2-2 count (laughs) in the second so that, that pitcher's throwing whatever he wants, which means the catcher really has no idea where it's going, adding another level of uh, intrigue to
0: this whole process. Yeah, let's call it intrigue and not <laughs> S-show.
1: <laughs> uh, well, speaking of the S-shows, the annual Major League Baseball draft is set to kick off on Monday.
0: Yes.
1: How do you feel about your uh, your Chicago White Sox? We're not going to get too far into this, but the White Sox do pick at number three. You have uh, somebody you're hoping falls.
0: Uh, Adley Rushman, the presumed number one pick, would be a great person to uh, snap up if he falls to three. Uh, Doesn't see seem like happening. it's going
1: to be the case, though. It seems like Rushman Probably. is going to be a, a Baltimore Oriole.
0: Very likely. Uh, the only reason it may not happen is Mike Alias, who I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing that right, but he is the now decision maker of the ball of the Baltimore Orioles used to be with the Astros. And obviously the Astro Astros made popular, um, you know, that under slot number one pick like, that they did when they picked up Correa and then McCullers. I think we talked about that a few weeks yeah. ago. Um, you know, there's an outside chance they end up taking either Bobby Witt or Andrew Vaughn or CJ Abrams or one of those guys at number one, and then go back double dip in the second. Um, and I believe they have three picks on, day two or I guess in the second round so you know they need that money probably but they also could just take the best player and in this scenario Rushman seems leaps and bounds over better than whoever the second or other choice would be under slot guy would be so it does seem like Rushman's a guy so from a White Sox perspective I mean I I I love what Andrew Vaughn has put together in terms of his statistics, but Mm. this is an undersized right-handed first baseman, which is, um, you know, not exactly something that's portended to future success and historically, um, but his, his numbers are just so incredible that you almost have to, you know, defer and take him there. But it it seems like a lot of, a lot of the buzz is that they would take CJ Abrams, who's a prep shortstop from Georgia and, um, you know, the idea being that they kind of create a second or third wave of their prospects by not taking one that's more ready to play like uh, Vaughn would be.
1: Yeah, see, I have a hard time believing it's going to be anybody but Adley Rushman, that number one pick. Wit looks like a lock to go number two to the Royals. Do you agree to that?
0: Yep, that does seem like the case, and that apparently will happen even if Rushman slips, which is right. wild.
1: So Witt's not going to sign significantly under slot. He knows he's going number two, which means, like you said, the logical pick would be Andrew Vaughn, uh, an uncharacteristic archetype for a first baseman going number yes. one overall. Just no way you can't risk that.
0: Yeah, I, you you just because of the historicals of having like a right-handed first baseman or what?
1: Right, and you know, Vaughn has like. I, I like I, I forget who said this. I think it might have been ew, it was somebody during the the combine coverage, and I thought it was genius. Mm. But they said that if you're going to be an exception, you need to be exceptional. And I don't yes. know that Andrew Vaughn is necessarily exceptional. Certainly not to the degree that he deserves to be the number one overall pick in the draft.
0: I agree that he shouldn't be the number one. You would definitely be signing him under slot, but his his statistics are somewhat exceptional i think i mean he's he's been you're talking about a likely 60 bat um on the 20 to 80 scale and that's coming out of college which is rare uh but you know he is an older prospect he is right-handed he is shorter so you i i understand both sides of the coin but it does he is he inherently more risky than the you know mega athlete like cj abrams would be i feel like it's basically the same
1: well, I don't even include Abrams in this conversation. You know, I guess, I guess maybe Abrams is the closest analog to like to Correa, if we're yes. pulling this all back to the Astros. But yeah, I I think it's got to be you know Whit Vaughn or or Rutschman, and mm-hmm. it's just I couldn't. You are you are taking such a gigantic risk if you take Andrew Vaughn number one. He better be you know a three fifteen hitter who get who gets you 35 home runs a year
0: yeah and i mean you're totally right it puts so much pressure on that one tool right on the hit tool not even the and really on the power tool to basically the bat needs to play and it needs to move quickly because he's he's older than those other guys not rushman he's younger than rushman but you know he's older than abrams by two years and wit by two years and you know riley green even i would say and i mean at that point you have to be getting a guarantee that you're getting a significantly underslot deal. And I'm not sure if you're honestly, if you're, um, Andrew Vaughn, like, why would you necessarily take that kind of low deal? Right. Like that underslot deal, because like, does it really, do you really want to go to Baltimore and, and right. be part of that system? And like, what incentive do you have to wanting to go one that there's a lot of pressure associated with that too. I I'm not sure that, you know, with all of that in mind, that it would really be worth it.
1: I couldn't agree with you more. I mean, look, the stats are good, the stats are impressive, but he's just he's such a weird archetype for a first baseman. Mm-hmm. Like this is not good this is not what what you think when you're looking at like your middle of the lineup first baseman. Absolutely yeah. not. You the power's been good. It's power's not been great, but it's been good. 23 home runs in 2018, hit 402. Um, but it's
0: pretty
1: good. Uh, it, 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 no, absolutely. It's it absolutely. It's pretty good, but it's also college. Let's yeah. not forget that. He's not doing that in double a, if it was double no. a, it's a lot different.
0: And he's well, 21. Like he's 21
1: years old where a lot of these guys, you know, had he come out of high school, he would be around double a right now.
0: I think, well then that always brings into account the other perspective which is high school first baseman just don't go that high right we've talked about it before so um so that's an issue i mean you're battling so many different you're right the archetype is bad like the up the ceiling is you know a paul goldschmidt type obviously when you think of a right-hander and and i mean Mm -hmm. but what how rare is that you know like how how quickly are you devolving into an exception to the rule rather than the trend? And I think that, you know, it, there are, again, there are risks associated with all these guys, but Rushman and Witt to me stand so far ahead of everybody else that it's really it makes it even harder to justify going with someone like Vaughn at number one or two just because of what you are, you know, it'd be one thing if it was wide open. Um, but it's not in this case. So I, I then tend to agree. I think at three, it becomes a very interesting conversation though, and that's where the White Sox are. Would you go Vaughn or Abrams based on the archetype that you're mentioning with Vaughn?
1: How concerned are you? Because, you know, this this isn't like picking a guy like C.J. Abrams, who you talked about, who if you pick him, he's a, he's a White Sox in four years if everything goes right. If you pick Andrew Vaughn, he better be up in the next couple of years. This is a 21-year-old who you're taking number three overall. You have to think he's pretty close to a finished product and should move quickly through the minors. You have Zach Collins. You have Jake Berger. There's only spots for so many of these guys who are basically going to get stuck at first base or DH.
0: For sure. For sure. Those are both great examples of why I don't think they would go with Vaughn, even though Nick Hostetler, their scouting director, has generally gone with college hitters in in the first round over the last few years, citing those two guys that you're talking about. And I mean, you have Nick Madrigal too, who's going to move quickly, who is moving quickly through the system. And I know he's not going to play first, but just the idea of waves of talent. They've talked about that. Many teams talk about that. The idea that, you know, not everything can come together at once. It, it almost needs, you know, some breathing time. And I think that that's Kind of what you hope for with a guy like Abrams, who isn't confined to shortstop. You're you're thinking, even if it is three or four years, he could be a center fielder, he could be a second baseman, he could be a different outfield position, you know, position player. But it gives you more leeway. Where a guy like Vaughn, as you're you're saying, basically has to do that one thing. And I think it's it's a really tough thing to grapple with because you also have to think when you've got that fast moving of a player. Like you have to think about Abreu. You got to think about mm-hmm. like those decisions that are coming quickly. And, and this guy has to be penciled into your lineup within you know, the next two or three years. And I'm just not sure that's a real smart way of doing it. I, I would be excited because I think the bat's going to play, but I do have real concerns about all the other stuff that you're bringing up.
1: Right. Well, less interesting for my Philadelphia Phillies here, picking 14. This is a team that has uh, allegedly been in love with Jackson Rutledge, the right-hander from Juco for quite a while, big six, eight kid with a short delivery and uh, really throws the ball hard, but the, the accuracy hasn't always been there. They were tied to Josh Jung, the Texas tech third baseman for quite a while, which was kind of perplexing to me because, you know, like I talked about with you with burgers and Collins there, you know, the Phillies took Alec bomb in the first round last year. Bomb is actually playing reasonably well at the, Bucking the trend of recent Philadelphia Phillies first round picks, and uh, and succeeding in the minor leagues, mm-hmm. so he, you know he is a third baseman now. Might end up being a first baseman. Probably ends up being a first baseman at some point in his future. Uh, you know they've been tied to uh, George Kirby, the pitcher from Elon. They've been tied to the uh, the kid from Carol Corbin Carroll, yep. from the outfielder uh, from from Seattle. So, the I will say the one guy I want nothing to do with is uh, Shay Langoliers. It scares the hell out of Catcher. me. Yeah, yeah. It just scares the hell out of me. Um, going into the year, I think a lot of people thought Langoliers is probably a top five pick in this draft, but you know injuries yep. and just inconsistencies have knocked him way down. Personally, I'm hoping he's a Brave. Uh, that would <sighs> make me happy. But then he probably turns into you know Buster Posey or somebody like that. Right. Ryan uh, or something. right so you know uh, allegedly they like uh the third baseman from Tulane Cody Hose uh mm-hmm. but I'm I'm hoping it's Rutledge it's probably not gonna be it's just let's just not screw this one up too bad Philly
0: man people love Rutledge I mean if you look at the nerds per each fan base and the mm-hmm. amount of people that want Jackson Rutledge because of how hard he throws. I mean, he probably has the strongest arm in this draft, at least of the first rounders that I've looked at. And I mean, he's, yeah, he's probably throwing a hundred for you and you know, there's a chance he moves quickly and could potentially, and you don't want to ever draft for this reason, but right, you know, say they're in a big, you know, they're, they're in a tight race and you need a bullpen arm. I mean, there's, it's not crazy to think that Rutledge could do that for you. Maybe not this year, but by next year. And so that's, that has to increase his value. He's only 20. Like you said, he's in that interesting middle ground because of the community college, the Juco factor. And, um, you know, I, I expect him to go, if he's there for Philly, I would think they'd take him. But my guess is he'll go a little bit earlier.
1: Yeah. Agreed. And honestly, it might be Atlanta at nine. How do you think this draft stacks up to last year's draft with guys like Casey Mize and Joey Bart at the top?
0: Yeah, I think it's a little, I, it's interesting because two player draft last year feels like kind of a two player draft this year again. And of course mm. our teams were drafting third in those two years. Right. So, I mean, I, I like magical two last year. Um, I think that the top is stronger last year than this year, but I like kind of like the mid to late first rounders in this draft. I think there are a lot of good players. You didn't mention, mention my favorite younger players, Keone Cavaco, who is a huge power type at third base. Um, from California, really like a late riser in the process. I really like him. I like Cameron Meisner, too. That's another guy that, you know, we came into this year thinking that he could be a top 10 pick vault himself, but the raw power is just huge. He just hasn't tapped into it. And the more we watch guys like Joe Adele and these other really good athletes mm-hmm. that are just crushing it, all those Braves guys basically have hit. I mean, it makes me want to invest in those types more and... You know when you look at the players in this draft i think there are a lot of guys like that that could be really you know impact talents um you know well into the end of the first round and then you know really into the second round where we we see how important and how prized these teams like clutch onto those picks you know and avoiding free agents so that they can keep those picks and get these players so i think that teams have a much clearer idea of how they're going to develop these players um, because they have the resources to do it. And I think that that makes this draft, which is long on raw talent, um, you know, really breathe more, uh, you know, well into the second round, I think you're going to see big time top hundred type prospects.
1: Right. And this is what always drives me crazy about the baseball draft. The Orioles have the first selection in this draft, the, the right to pick the best player, the best draft eligible player in the college or prep ranks. And yep. they are doing so with an eye towards who they can take in the second round.
0: Yeah, it's crazy. I know you've talked about it before, but the more you know, you get into it, the more you're like, I can't believe they might not take Rushman, right? If only because they need to save money for later. Like, in what other sport does that ever happen? And what kind of logic is that?
1: Yeah, no, absolutely. It's like uh, Arizona passes on Kyler Murray because they want to get you know, you know, uh, an equivalent to like Christian Kirk in the second round.
0: Right. Right. Exactly. Like, oh, you know, and and, I mean, it puts all these other teams at a disadvantage too, right? Like, say you're in the middle of the first round and you want to take, I don't know, let's say Brett Beatty from Texas, right? The third baseman. You might not take him because you're worried that, you know, he doesn't want to play for your organization or he already knows that the Orioles are willing to spend, you know, X million dollars with one of their, their, you know, comp picks basically in between the two first round, second round. I mean, that's crazy that you have to think about all those things that way. I mean, it adds strategy, but like, to me, it just isn't really practical.
1: No. And it's such a gamble too, because I, both for the team and the player, you have to think that money in hand is better than, you know, taking the risk of going back to school. If you're even eligible to, and, and hoping that you produce again to the level where you can go be picked higher and make more money the following year just a weird weird situation totally
0: um we see it even with those with those young players that have signed these huge contract extensions right the Jimenez's and Acuna's and those types that mm -hmm. you know players definitely I think are going with what you're saying and and just taking the money when they get it regardless of what their ceilings might be
1: oh yeah look at Ozzy Albies is the best example of this Mm -hmm. Albies gets significantly less than than Acuna or Jimenez. And there's a really good chance that if he keeps on the path he's on, he could make, I don't know, a two X multiple of what he's guaranteed over these next whatever nine years. Mm -hmm. But for sure, it's just, you know, you're going to get it's in the 40s. I don't remember exactly what he signed for. I think it's like forty nine million dollars. You know, you're going to get forty nine million dollars in the next nine years. You know, you're a 20 year old.
0: That's pretty good. It's really good, but even guys like Bryce, I think, sure. like he, I think he left money on the table ultimately, but the certainty of locking in that long-term deal. And we saw it, we were seeing it with everyone or Arenado, all these guys, maybe taking a little less per year just to have that certainty. And those are the best of the best, you know? So yeah. of course it's going to trickle down for these players that we're talking about.
1: Real quick. Give me your thoughts on the, the proposed international draft, 15 rounds, uh, slotted selections for everyone. Any undrafted player would only be eligible to sign up for up to $50,000. What are your thoughts?
0: I I like it a whole lot more than what the way they're doing it right now, which yeah. is just basically free agency, but also they tried to time it out. So it just doesn't make a lot of sense the way that they have it right now, where there's like a deadline and, you know, these guys are at a huge disadvantage and teams with a strong presence in various countries end up having a massive advantage right like a competitive Mm. advantage so I I like that better than the way that you know it was previously being done but there are still I think there are definitely still inequities to exploit that I think the teams will continue to do where they have strong you know international presences
1: yeah I wonder what kind of majority would be required in order to pass this because You would think logically, you know, your your big market teams, your Yankees, your your Mariners, all those teams who have historically done well in the international market would be vehemently against it. While while a team like, you know, the Royals, the Royals are never going to get a top tier international player without breaking the bank. There's no no one's going to go there. No one's going to go play in Minnesota or or somewhere like that. Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh, once how about Pittsburgh as a big player in the international market? Oh yeah, I'm coming over I'm coming over and we're going to live in Pittsburgh for the next 10 years. <laughs> That's going to be great. So I yeah, would I would I, think all of these smaller market teams would be more more than willing to go with this. Um but yeah, I don't I don't know what the incentive to change for for a cardinals a mariners a yankees a dodgers etc would be. Yeah. Cubs, no yeah. for
0: sure. I I totally agree with you. I mean the I I still think that those teams are going to have an advantage because of the fact that they are brand names, but I think that it's you know, it I agree. They they would much rather those organizations I would assume would much rather do it the way that it's currently being done. Um, unless they see some hole in the process or some again some inequity to exploit with the next system, but I, I pretty much completely agree with you, and I just I think that baseball's player acquisition situation just in general needs a massive overhaul, like across yeah. the board.
1: So. Absolutely, it's it's insane that the the best teams in baseball can consistently get the best young international players. Yeah, that's a broken system. If ever there was one,
0: it's so true. I mean, they're the same teams somehow always manage to do the best in every one of these. I wonder why, like, why are these prospects falling to the Yankees and then the Yankees able to pay for them because they have the money. And because, you know, they've got the inroads with these players and then you, and it drifts into every single other portion, portion of player acquisition that there is in baseball and it's just it's definitely like a rich get richer situation which I hate and again yeah. it just comes all the way back to Adley Rushman with the Orioles because there should be no question that he should be the number one pick right and but the fact that it's not a slam dunk it just proves how ridiculous the system is
1: real quick and this is the last thing we're going to talk about in this segment before we hit the break would you take Rushman over over Mize or Joey Bart?
0: Yes, I definitely over um okay. Mize boy. Tough t- <laughs> hindsight's 2020 20, and Mize has been so good that that would be tougher and especially when you look at this draft, I don't think it's strong at pitcher, not nearly as strong as last no. year and so you know, you drop Mize into this draft based on relative value, he probably does go one, but Rushman I think is probably the best number one prospect we've seen in several years.
1: All right. Fair enough. All right. We'll take a quick break and we'll be right back. I'm not going very far. I'm in a rush. It's too uncomfortable. Sometimes I just forget. Don't kid yourself, there is no such thing as a good excuse for not buckling up. If you've used any of these excuses, or any others, you're putting yourself at risk of injury or death. In 2017, more than 10,000 people were unbuckled when they were killed in crashes. That's 51% of people killed in motor vehicle crashes that were not wearing seatbelts. No matter what kind of vehicle you drive, wearing your seatbelt is the best defense in a crash. Even when you sit in the back seat, you still need to buckle up. And that goes for when you ride in taxis or use ride-sharing services, too. Cops are on the lookout and writing tickets. So why take the risk? In 2017 alone, seatbelts saved nearly 15,000 lives. 15,000. So do the smart thing and buckle up every trip, day or night. Click it or ticket. Hi, I'm sports broadcaster Anne-Marie Anderson. I'm Olympian Holly McPeak. We're both former athletes, businesswomen, and mothers, and we want to help you create the life you want using sports like a boss. Whether you're an athlete, entrepreneur, or parent, we want to help you get to where you want to be. Well, good, because I either got too many kids or I'm overscheduled, overwhelmed. Honestly, Holly, half the time, I feel like I'm screwing it up. Well, that's why we created this podcast to help get coaching, parenting, and the whole sports culture back on track. We've got a big network of people Elite athletes like you, Holly, entertainers, experts, we're going to find out what works for them and what doesn't so that you handle sports like a boss. All right, Anshu, we're back and I want to talk a little basketball action as uh, you fight through the construction <laughs> zone that you've apparently yeah, wandered into. Oh, <laughs> uh, good. I will, uh, who knows? People may not even hear that. I'll try to filter it out. And we'll see how that goes. This could just be us talking about something that nobody understands. But let's get to let's get to basketball. Big announcement today: RJ Hampton, who reclassified into the 2019 class from 2020, was the number five prospect per ESPN. Has decided he's going to go play professionally in New Zealand.
0: Yes, with the New Zealand Breakers. I that I is. The, you know, we've seen a couple players do this, obviously, but this one feels bigger to me. I mean, you might be you might have disagreements on that, um, but I, uh-huh. I don't know. I feel like it's, uh, it's a huge deal, so we'll see. I mean, we'll, uh, we've seen it with other players. My hunch is that it will, no matter how good he is, I mean, unless he's just absolutely amazing there, my hunch is that it is going to hurt his draft stock overall, but guess what? He's getting paid getting paid more than whatever he would have made as a recruit for one of these big time schools. He says he would have gone to Kansas. Um, So it's, I, my guess is he ends up falling out of the top five for that exact reason, but we will see. And and if he's good and if they're, you know, if he's able to crack the top three or five next year in a wide open draft class, it might very well be the difference in how players end up, you know, making their college or international decisions going forward.
1: Yeah, I hate saying stuff like this to sort of diminish what we're about to see about a month from now when the 2019 NBA draft kicks off, but next year's draft looks like it could be a ton of fun with guys like James Wiseman and Anthony Edwards and Cole Anthony and RJ Hampton and Jaden McDaniels, international players like Theo Maladin and uh, Denny Avija. I'll take a shot at that one. I've never yeah. actually heard heard that pronounced <laughs> out loud. Um, but just a ton of talent there uh yeah i don't i don't know if he necessarily is going to be a top five pick regardless i think he's he's in that like for me he's in that like three to seven range so Mm -hmm. could like kind of flip a coin flip of a coin whether or not it's a top five pick but it'll be interesting we've who's been the most successful player who has decided to ditch high school and go play internationally. I mean, we've had like the Brandon Jennings and the, the Terrence Ferguson's who else comes to mind.
0: Those two immediately came to mind. Um, And you know, Terrence Ferguson slips pretty hard into the late early twenties. Right. And, um, you know, I, yeah, I'm trying to think there was also before the international route, a lot of players went Juco, but obviously not getting paid to do that. So, Right. It's tricky. I, I don't know that there's a better one than Jennings and then Jennings, Simons, I guess. He did that, right? I think he S- went. Simons came
1: out of prep school. Um, oh, he went prep school. Okay. He was he was a fifth year high school kid, so he declared for the draft last year. That's what it was. Okay. We're, we, we're going to see something similar this year with Jalen McHugh. But mm-hmm. yeah, I don't know. I mean, I I think last year we had Darius Baisley, who was going to go to Syracuse and ended up interning at, uh, like, a shoe company I don't want to I want to say it was New Balance but I'm honestly mm-hmm. I can't remember who it was. That's now yeah. now he has gone from McDonald's all American to a guy who is going to be lucky to be picked at the end of the first round. Mm-hmm. Um yeah, I don't this is a gamble and I I think this is going to be one of two there's probably even a bigger name despite the fact that Hampton is even is a much better player. I think we're almost uh, certainly going to see LaMelo Ball go play internationally for a oh, year as well.
0: Yes. That's right. Good call. Yeah. I mean, look, the guys that play overseas generally are imperfect players. We're not seeing Zion go over there. We're not seeing, you know, Barrett go over there. The reason is because there's certainty associated with playing and being productive here. And I, I mean, I think that that's kind of the difference in the types of players you see go over there versus go overseas versus play here. But again, if, if this situation works out well for Hampton, I mean, they're, there's a really good chance that it ends up, you know, being the straw that breaks the camel's back and like a lot of these players end up going, but it's going to take one guy to be that good and we just haven't seen it. Even though we've seen international players of course go top 3, it just seems like these these young players have uh, had issues for whatever reason.
1: Yeah, I would agree with you about this potentially being the straw that broke the camel's back if this was 3 4 years ago, but mm. now I think we're Probably going to have high school players eligible for the draft come the 2022 NBA draft. So Uh, next year's class would be the last one that was really uh, affected by this. And you're right. You know, it's difficult to to build yourself up, to build your own personal brand while you're playing internationally. Let's Mm -hmm. say let's say Zion Williamson was playing in New Zealand this year and doing exactly the same thing.
0: Oh, yeah. I don't
1: I don't know if he'd be the number one pick in the draft. No
0: chance. No chance. Absolutely no chance. Like even say like everything ends ends up working the same way. R- R.J. Barrett's similarly inefficient or you know kind of erratic, and Cam Reddish has a year he had. And just say everything happened exactly the same. I mean, you're probably looking at John Morant number one, I would think. And then I I do wonder because remember coming into last year there were massive questions, very real questions about Zion until we saw him perform and really. It took more than just seeing it once or twice. We, we needed a significant sample, and we're there are still people who doubt Williamson. So yeah, I, I there's no way if he went overseas, and even if he did exactly what he did, that he would be going number one. I don't think. I, I mean, I would be very surprised.
1: I agree with you completely. Uh, we've had a, a, another interesting team sort of pop up in the Anthony Davis sweepstakes today, and that is the Brooklyn Nets. What do you think about a potential trade of uh, Davis going to Brooklyn? Uh,
0: I I think it'd be really tough for Brooklyn to put together the type of assets that they would need to get him because you'd think that they don't want to move Russell, right? But because, they have like, to
1: move Russell.
0: Yeah, I think right, that, I think fine. this
1: is contingent upon they figure they get Davis, they also get Kyrie Irving.
0: Mm, gotcha. Yeah, I mean so. So you're looking at a package with Russell and picks, right? because I'm not sure who the young you know electrifying talent is in that draft. I would just think that they could do better that the well, let, could let's do
1: say better. let's say it's Russell, it's Jared Allen. It's one of Dinwiddie or Karis Levert and you know, and two draft picks. That's not bad that that is that is more it's equivalent really
0: hinges on what you think of Russell.
1: That's true. Um, but it, it's kind of more equivalent to the Kawhi trade than the Anthony Davis trades where we're seeing, you know, a big piece in all-star True. going back in return.
0: Yeah. I mean, and you know, I, I, again, I, I keep going back to why I think the Celtics are the best option. Cause I, in my mind, I think Tatum is that player. If they identify, you know, if Griffin identifies that, you know, Russell is in that group, then I think you have you should make that move, and I mean Russell's still young enough where you can you know move on with him. I think he'd be an interesting fit with Zion, and and I'm not sure how he fits necessarily with Drew Holiday, but I, I, you know I think that that makes some sense for sure. I again, it really I'm I'm not a buyer into Russell being like a you know uh, mm. an All Star every year, so that would be. The difference for me I don't think that that collection of players does it but you're right I mean if you if you can get the all-star back then you do it in a heartbeat
1: yeah I see I've always been a D'Angelo Russell guy and I mm. do kind of believe that we've we've only seen the surface of what he's going to be I think he's going to get he even be. better he's certainly going to be more efficient moving forward and that mm-hmm. I like I like that kind of player as a pairing you know I think he fits pretty nicely with holidays they're both kind of one twos Mm -hmm. And uh, with uh, Zion as well You know, I don't love Jared Allen next to Zion But that's just (laughs) assets in return Uh, I don't know It's nice to have How does
0: that rate compared to the Lakers package?
1: Uh, Well, the Lakers package I think we've talked about this pretty much ad nauseum But
0: Mm. it,
1: it is So tough to quantify the value Of that package because of the lingering Health concerns about Brandon Ingram
0: Yep, agreed And I mean, and Now that that number four pick is locked in, you know, as far as being an asset that they can move, I think that that, I I would almost rather do even that group, which I've I've kind of been down on the Lakers package that they could throw back. But if you knew you had that pick, I like that more probably than Russell right now or Russell base package, but you know. I understand. I think it's reasonable to say that either one works, if, if that's the one that Griffin chooses. I but I, you really have to be locked into Russell as a future star, I think, or else that that's a non-starter for me.
1: That's fair. I'm just I'm happy we have uh, something new to talk about there because it was the same <laughs> yeah. three teams for so long. And uh, actually, I want to I want to stay with the Lakers and talk about their dysfunction here for a second. I don't know. Did you catch this Rob Palenka story on ESPN, just oh, telling God. bold-faced lies to people?
0: <laughs> I did. You're talking about the Heath Ledger alleged yes. conversation he had so with Kobe for, for those,
1: yeah. yeah, For those who aren't aware of this, uh, this story comes back from uh, March 2018. Apparently, The Rock was there at the Lakers facility as part of a <gasps> Genius Talk series. Uh, standing beside Johnson, and I'm reading this from ESPN, Uh, Standing beside Johnson, Polinka told a story about his former client, Kobe Bryant. There was one time when Kobe, who I worked with for 18 years, was going back to play in Madison Square Garden and he had just seen The Dark Knight, Polinka said. Obviously, you guys saw the movie and he's like, hey, hook me up uh, with dinner with Heath Ledger because he got so locked into that role. I want to know how he mentally went there. So we had dinner with Heath and he talked about how he uh, locks in for a role and Kobe used some of that in his game against the Knicks. Obviously, Heath Ledger had been dead for six months at that point.
0: (laughs) It's it's just amazing to me, and I mean that's just the tip of the iceberg. Like that story, in and of itself, kind of symbol symbolizes what the whole story is about, right? The the ESPN article, which is just a series of stories that characterize Blink as a liar or as sort of like a storyteller essentially, but you know, a lot is right.
1: Liar's right. And, and <laughs> no
0: substance. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's bad. And I've never, we both agree on this, that magic Johnson, I think is a, just a massively overrated personnel man in general. Um, yeah. And just basically a zero, if not a negative for them. Um, and so, you know, the fact that he got LeBron fine, I, I give him credit. I assume he was a, a role player in that. Although you know, there's a decent chance that LeBron just knew and he identified the Lakers as his best shot because of the proximity to, you know, Hollywood and whatever else. And so, yeah, look, the the whole story worth a read and it just lights that entire organization on fire. I do think that a lot of it came from Luke Walton, which Mm -hmm. I think is, I don't know if you got that feel too, because he comes out of the story looking pretty good overall, but overall just terrible, bad look for the Lakers.
1: By the way, I I don't think Magic Johnson got LeBron James. I don't think that's the case at all. You know, when we hear stuff like LeBron said last year was his favorite year that he's had in the NBA so far, that tells me that he does not care about winning. He cares about being in L.A. L.A. got LeBron James, not Magic Ah. Johnson, not Rob Palenka. It was the ability to be near Hollywood, to further his brand. And that just seems like that was what it was about, because we saw LeBron look. Borderline miserable and completely checked out on the court many times last year.
0: For sure. I, I totally don't buy that, by the way, that LeBron was like, that was the most fun he's had or the best yeah. time he's had. First of all, he missed half the season. And second, yeah, they were a disaster. They were a laughing stock. And, you know, people love beating up and tearing down successful individuals or teams, obviously. But he, I thought, brought a lot of it on himself. And, there's just no way he could have liked that. <laughs> like there's just right. no way. Cause that was torture. It was torture to watch, let alone be a part of I'm Sure. So yeah. I, and look, I, I don't think it's going to get any better for them. I really no. don't. Like I, I, I don't see the Avenue to Davis really, except for maybe if Ingram's health scare gets written off and yeah. then, you know, and then I just, I, I don't, ugh. I don't like it. And I, I think that LeBron's getting so old now, too, that it's going to be I'm not sure we'll ever see him again. Like you said, you I think you put a couple weeks ago, what will LeBron ever be the best player on a, you know, on a playoff team in the NBA? And that's just it's amazing to me to even think about that. But it's the truth. It's hard to imagine that happening anytime soon.
1: Yeah. And the more we start to hear about, oh, you know, the Lakers could be interested in Bradley Beal, the more I think that even they know they're probably not going to get Davis.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. I mean, David Griffin, clearly, I I don't know what his stance is on helping LeBron or whatever, but I do know that if they had wanted that deal, I feel like it would have happened already, especially once the fourth pick went to L.A.
1: I think people make way too much out of this David Griffin connection. Like, David Griffin is going to take a lesser trade so that he can no. accommodate LeBron James. No, that that's not what his job is. His job is to make the New Orleans Pelicans the best team they can possibly be, not to make sure LeBron's legacy goes strong in his later years.
0: For sure. Do you think? Do you think that Griffin getting there after his history with LeBron, though, makes it likelier that he hangs on to Davis as long as he possibly can?
1: Oh, that's that's possible. No, I do think
0: just knowing you know, how rare a commodity it is to have that's a player true. like that. You know, well,
1: I guess you can sell yourself on, yeah, we can move on from this because we have Zion yeah. coming in. Yep. But uh, I, I don't know. I, you know, we know he's going into this meeting with Anthony Davis, and uh, I, I don't think much is going to come from it. Quite frankly, I think Davis is probably going to reiterate his desire to be traded, but. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Nothing's going to happen before that meeting. After that meeting, if things go bad, maybe things happen fairly quickly. Is my yeah, guess. I'm,
0: I tend to agree. I I think the damage has been done, but the fact that you get Zion uh, or the right to Zion is so incredibly huge for, in my opinion, that it I think it has to change. Even if Davis is dead set on leaving, I think if I'm Davis, it has to at least give you pause, doesn't it? The idea of playing with Zion.
1: Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Uh, ab- absolutely. All right. Last thing we're going to hit in this, then we're going to take a quick break and do some awards picks. But the Milwaukee Bucks, aren't you, Khanna? They're in a weird position. They uh, they lose ugly in the conference finals. And now they have a lot of question marks in terms of what they're going to do this offseason. Brooke Lopez, a free agent, Chris Middleton, a free agent, Malcolm Brogdon, a restricted free agent. And it seems like they're probably going to have to choose between, you know, Brogdon, Lopez, and, uh, and some of the other guys with Middleton re-signing for likely the Max. What, what's going to happen in Milwaukee? Do they, it seems like Lopez is probably the priority. Uh, so yeah. is Brogdon gone?
0: I think so. Um there have been rumors around here in Chicago that the Bulls will put an offer together on Brogdon similar to what they did with Jabari. I think they should too. Um I mean relative to what their other options are at least, which is like trading the 7 for 2 years of Mike Conley at 30 million a year or whatever yeah. it is. Or and, Lonzo. You know, or I look, I'm still in favor of that, but yeah. Okay. I I I think that you know, like I would be surprised if Brogdon doesn't sign to a sheet, especially because, um, you know, the Bucks gave all that money to Bledsoe. And so now are you paying X amount to just bring this back and, you know, and hope that those two point guards are worth it? Or I I don't know. I I think it's when you're in a position, the Bucks are in, it becomes very, very complicated because this is a high stakes game right now. Like if you, if you mishandle this and somehow piss off Giannis, who has been the ultimate buck so far, I mean, you you risk alienating yourself with him and you know, and then what? I, I mean then you're left holding the bag with Bledsoe and Brogdon and Middleton, and that's nowhere near enough, um, you know, without Giannis to be a serious contender. So I, I don't know. I, I think that ultimately Brogdon's gone. You can re sign Lopez to a cheaper deal. I think Lopez wants to be there. And you know, and then I you have you have to basically you've put yourself in the position where you have to give Middleton the max, and I think that's mm. probably merited, right, at this point. So I yeah, think that's gonna give, be,
1: yeah. Give given the other players who are gonna get the max, I don't have any problem with Middleton get it getting it. Um I've really grown to to like Malcolm Brogdon this year. He is just a very cerebral good player that helps a basketball team. And you know, I had issues with him because of the rookie of the year that he stole yes. over a couple of more deserved Philadelphia 76ers. Um but you know ironically you know the place maybe Brogdon fits the best next year and we keep coming back here. It might be LA.
0: Mm, wow very interesting. With the Lakers or Clippers?
1: With the Lakers. <laughs> you know I, I think they're gonna move on from Lonzo if you can use Lonzo in a package along with, you know, Kuzma or somebody like that to go get go get Beal, and then you plug in Brogdon as well, that that's a much improved team.
0: It's a much better shooting team, that's for yeah. sure. I agree. That but you know, yes, that seems much improved, but as we saw in that piece today by ESPN, like they don't think about this stuff logically, you know, it's like true. most of the beginning of that article is all about Contavius Caldwell Pope and, you know, the way that they bent over backwards for clutch sports and, you yeah. know, what's, why should we believe that they're actually going to do the right thing and do, you know, from a basketball <laughs> perspective, That's
1: true. like the
0: history does not portend nicely to Rob Palinka knowing how to throw this together. And I, I love that figure. I Brogdon and Beal around Uh, LeBron makes a lot more sense than what they threw together this last year but I just don't see why we would ever see that from them
1: that's fair that that's absolutely fair they'll probably give KCP the max and just hope Mm -hmm. that hope that LeBron's happy and play him even if he's in jail Uh, all right (laughs) let's take a we'll take our second break we'll be right back Hey guys, Chris Horvitell here to let you know that Yahoo Daily Fantasy is now an absolute must play for all DFS enthusiasts. We've still got weeks left of NBA action plus the playoffs, baseball is right around the corner, and golf is in full swing as well. Get it? Full swing. Now is the perfect time to start playing Yahoo Daily Fantasy if you've already played daily fantasy before then you know all about this but what about the people who have never played daily fantasy before well i'm glad you asked yahoo has you covered unlike those other big sites that let their users enter like 150 different lineups into their bigger contests yahoo has a 10 entry max and what that means it means better chances for you to win the big contests and there are a couple of really cool things that i want to draw your attention to first of all the daily no management fee contests Because of how they're set up, these are contests that are going to have fewer entries, but the same amount of prizes. Better chance to win. Come on. And Yahoo also has a very cool, very innovative quick match feature. This is absolutely great for beginners. This means you're not going to get randomly put up against some master of DFS, some head-to-head genius, some ninja who's never going to lose. You're put up against someone of an equal skill level, And you can do the quick match contest at $1, $2, $5, $10, and $25 per slate. Best of all, with no management fee, that means if you play for $10 and win, you get $20, not like 16, $17, $20. So sign up today at Yahoo.com backslash daily fantasy or by downloading the Yahoo Fantasy app. And as a fun little treat for all of you guys, you get $25 in free play when you make your first deposit using. promo code pod25 that's pod25 and that bonus is available to you immediately you can use it to enter contest right away the minimum deposit is only five bucks that promo code once again don't forget it pod25 hey guys chris here and i'm gonna tell you something that you already know the internet it's a dark and scary place We go to a lot of websites where we're hesitant to put our credit card information in because we don't know what's going to happen to it, And, and there are a few categories where that is more prevalent than online sportsbooks. So many of these are shady, you don't trust them, you don't think you'll ever get money if you win, and you certainly don't want to give them your personal information. The good news is, our friends over at Skybook Sportsbook are a shining light in this dark, bleak category skybook has been around forever and you know that you can trust them and the sportsbook variety is out of this world they've of course got the basic stuff you can go you can bet on who's gonna win the nba finals who's gonna win the stanley cup what's gonna happen in major league baseball season all of that But then we go deeper, much, much, much deeper. Are you a big Euroleague fan? You want to put a couple of dollars down on Real Madrid? Skybook has you covered. Or maybe you're a soccer guy and you exclusively bet on the German Bundesliga. You're a big FC Augsburg fan. Hey, Skybook has you covered maybe you just have a feeling about sri lanka in the cricket world cup guess what skybook has you covered and if you are still on the fence i should tell you that skybook is the home of the free half point program head over to www.skybook.ag today and check out all they have to offer all right Anshu, we're back and i want to take this opportunity here to do some picks for nba award winners uh We've got some lines over here, our friends at uh, Skybook Sportsbook, and I'm going to give you some odds here. You tell me who you like. We're going to start with the uh, odds to win the NBA Finals MVP. Skybook has Steph Curry minus 135, Kawhi plus 200, Draymond plus 6, Kevin Durant plus 850, Clay plus 1,200, Iggy plus 2,000. Oh boy, a lot of Warriors. Boogie plus 2,000. The next next Raptor shows up here at uh, Kyle Lowry plus 2, Siakam plus 2, Fred Van Vliet plus 25, Ibaka 25, and so on.
0: Yeah, I mean, you can basically take out any Raptor aside Uh from Kawhi. And, you know, Kawhi is an interesting one to me because I think there's a scenario where they don't win the title and Kawhi still is such a dominant force that he becomes the vote, but... Curry is properly rated as the favorite, and I Agreed. would I would lean that direction for sure.
1: Yeah, and I think this is interesting just from the kind of statement that it makes in that Steph saying, look, this is my team, this has always been my team, we don't need Kevin Durant to win.
0: I, yeah, not overtly, but he definitely has implied that. And I will say this, that there is an outside chance Draymond does it. Be just because of how good he looked last series. yeah, I just don't know that the counting stats are going to be enough to get him it. And especially if Curry is even, he doesn't even need to be what he was last series. If he's just pretty good, they're going to wipe the floor with the Raptors and he's going to be the MVP. So I'm, I'm with you.
1: Well, isn't this going back, that would be sort of akin to the 2014, 2015 season when Iguodala won finals MVP.
0: Yeah, that's, that's sort of what I was thinking too. But I, I think that, because that happened, it makes it less likely that someone random will win it this year. You know what I mean? Like it's more likely to be like almost a lifetime achievement for Curry.
1: (laughs) Well, you know, Draymond, if he plays like he played in the last round, boy, that guy, it was incredible. But Um, still,
0: even then, wouldn't you pick Curry to have won the MVP of that round?
1: Yeah, probably. But yeah, yeah, probably, Mm -hmm. probably. Way to <laughs> ruin that for me, aren't you? Sorry, yeah. I'm just saying. I
0: mean, it took Steph having one of the greatest scoring series in the history of basketball to still get there ahead of Draymond, but even then, like even if he averaged three points less per game, I would still say he would probably win it.
1: Well, and he threw up that thirty-five point triple double. So
0: <laughs> Yeah, minor played details
1: pretty well. Um yeah. we're gonna move on to Coach of the Year at Skybook. And I you know, I guess this is very indicative of that this is a regular season award because of the three people we're gonna see named here. Skybook has Mike Budenholzer at minus twenty five hundred, Doc Rivers at plus seven hundred, Mike Malone at plus twelve hundred, notably absent Nick Nurse.
0: <laughs> yeah, you can tell this is a regular season award for sure. Um I would probably it should be voted for after the year, shouldn't it? Like, I how do you not include that as part of the body of work? But right. um, I would say uh, it seems very evident that Budenholzer is going to win it. And I'm not sure he deserves it, honestly. like I think that he's done a great job. I think the Bucks were a totally different team than they were last year. And they definitely have some stability there. But I'm not sure that he deserves it over even Doc Rivers. Like, what they did is, is so impressive. But, yeah, it's going to be Bud for sure.
1: Agreed. All right, Defensive Player of the Year. Skybook has Rudy Gobert, minus 550, Giannis at plus 300, and Paul George at plus
0: 800. Mm, Very interesting. Um, I think that this is going to go to Gobert again. And, uh, you know, maybe Giannis deserves it, maybe he doesn't, maybe Kawhi deserves it. But um, it's going to be Gobert, I think, just judging by those odds and by the fact that. Especially, I don't know him not making the All Star game is is a hilarious undercard to this. Yeah, and I do think that he'll ultimately get it in part because of that.
1: I wonder if you know there's a I, know, I, I guess that's fair. All right, that's that's fair. Most improved player, uh, Skybook has boy. This is not this is not going to be competitive. Mm. Skybook has Pascal Siakam at minus eighteen hundred, D'Angelo Russell at plus three hundred, and De'Aaron Fox up next at plus four thousand.
0: Wow. I I love Russell there. I know that Siakam really turned it around this year, or at least made the leap that we kind of had expected, I think. But Russell, I think, deserves to be closer in that vote. I, I, I do think he's just a totally different player than he was last year.
1: Oh, my God. um, I do not agree with these, these odds for this next award. Uh, Skybooks, 2018-2019 uh, Rookie of the Year. Luka Doncic, minus 3,000, Trey mm. Young, plus 400, DeAndre Ayton, plus 8,000. I don't think the chasm between Doncic and Young is quite that far. I really don't think it's that big.
0: Totally agree with you. Um, and, you know, we're not saying who we'd rather have going forward or anything. It's just what happened this year. Yeah. And Trey Young's stats are very good. <laughs>
1: yeah, and Luka I, faded towards the end of the season.
0: Yeah. And he didn't play. He missed a bunch of games, didn't he? Relative yeah. to what Trey did, so I'm. I it's going to be Doncic, obviously. Just looking at this, but I think the value is good there on on Trey Young, and I would, I would vote for Doncic. But I think that it's it's much closer than that. I agree with you.
1: Okay, let, let, let's give these numbers here. Trey Young played 81 of 82 games. Lucas, 72 of 82. Luca scored 21.2 points per game to Trey Young's 19.1, so he's got a couple point advantage there. Big mm-hmm. advantage in rebounds for Luca, 7.8 to Trey Young's 3.7. Uh, Trey Young has the advantage in assist, 8.1 to an impressive six for Luca. Mm-hmm. Luca shoots sure. 42%, Young shoots 41%, Luca shoots 40, uh, yeah. 30.
0: What's That's up? impressive for Trey Young. Agree. Record. I mean, very how, impressive. How much harder it is for someone that small to score? It's very impressive.
1: Uh, Luca shoots thirty-two percent to Trey Young's thirty-two percent from three. Luca shoots seventy-one percent to Trey Young's eighty-two percent from the line. You know mm. his. Uh, I just i do not i do not see a thirty-four hundred uh, point barrier between these two guys. I just i really don't. And this no, is I don't either. I think we we basically gave Luka this award by by the All-Star break, and we're not ignoring what happened after that when he got cold and Trey Young got red hot.
0: Yeah, yeah, for sure. And, I mean, that's the problem with some of these awards that we just assume. Like, same with Budenholzer, I think, to a certain extent. I mean, they were definitely a really good team throughout the season, and it's a good regular season award, and a a testament to both these guys that they end up winning it. But I I do think that, like, Trey Young is – like you said, and you didn't even include steals. Trey Young was really good in that, uh, you know, from that perspective too. So I I don't know. I I know that he's not quite the all-around player that Doncic is, but I don't see the logic around how that's so, so far apart.
1: Who wins the trade? If you have to give one team the win, because obviously these guys were traded for each other last year, basically going to end up being uh, Luka Doncic for Trey Young and the number 10 pick in this draft, which, you know, Jackson Hayes, Seku Domboya, somebody like that, who wins? Mm-hmm.
0: I th- is it crazy to say it was a fair trade? I mean, I'd rather have yes. Doncic, but I think it's pretty close.
1: Yeah, I agree. I think both teams really got w- the player that was perfect for them.
0: Yes, yes, I agree. I, I Again, I think Doncic will end up being not significantly better, but better. Um, but value-wise, after one year, I think that it's pretty darn close i agree
1: Trey young is the closest thing we've seen to steph curry since steph curry and i don't you don't don't know that he's going to hit that incredible upside but his future is is so
0: bright uh it is he's in the right era that's for sure (laughs) yes 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 he
1: is (laughs) i don't know how he would be doing if this was 30 years ago but that's also not a problem for him right now no um so. 2018 2019 six man award over at Skybook. They have Lou Williams minus 1800, Demontis Sabonis plus 700, and uh, Skybook has montrezl Harrell plus 900.
0: Yeah, I'm definitely on board with what the implication is here, but I do think Sabonis had a very nice, efficient season for the Pacers. I think is a nice piece to have going forward for them.
1: Yeah, but Lou's award and one of the best contracts in the NBA.
0: It is. Agreed and agreed.
1: Uh, all right, final thing, the 2018-2019 Most Valuable Player Award. Skybook has Giannis, the heavy favorite, at minus 1,000, James Harden at plus 250, and Paul George at plus 4,000.
0: Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I got Giannis in part because of the Harden fatigue, I think, but that mm-hmm. should be closer for sure, and I just... I. I I'm not a Harden fan as far as watching his game, but what he has strung together over these three years is mind-numbing to me. And I mean, this is just the beginning for Giannis. But I think it would be fair to have Harden win it this year, and Giannis eventually probably win it next year, and all the years <laughs> going forward. But you know, relatively speaking, where do you stand on this? I'm I'm interested to hear.
1: I do think it's I do think this is Giannis's award. Um, I think he is. He is more important to the Bucks than Harden is to the Rockets. It's both obviously integral to their teams, but mm-hmm. you know I, I think I think the Rockets really struggled because they were so dependent upon Harden. You know, in a scenario where he doesn't play on that team and Chris Paul is the number one guy with somebody else, uh, I think they're they're still a good team. They're still probably a playoff team. If you take if you take uh, Giannis, Giannis off of, of that Bucs team, they are competing with the Bulls (laughs) record-wise?
0: I probably agree. I think a little bit more highly of Middleton, but I also think that Middleton is just the perfect player next to Giannis. So it's worked out really well that he happens to be there. I'm not sure what they would look like without him. I think that Budenholzer certainly gets the most out of his teams, but from a talent perspective, yeah, I mean, the Bucks are worse. And you know Giannis makes everything go for them, and you know the fact that he played more games is, is, is a testament to him. You know, like mm-hmm. that he's that he matters that much. And you know, I have absolutely no problem with him winning. I would probably vote for him because of his defensive ability. But I I think what Harden did this year is certainly clearly the second best of anyone. And I I am remain very strongly in the pro Go Bear camp here. I know that he's never going to win an MVP, but he's. You know, his his all-around ability, his effective field goal percentage in combination with the fact that he's going to win Defensive Player of the Year, I think is mm. something we just sort of ignore conveniently when he's been so good, and Jokic is kind of in the same spot, too.
1: Yeah, no, I, I agree completely. You, tell, you talk about Trey Young being in the right era. Well, James Harden has found the right coach.
0: <laughs> yes, and the right era. It, it all works for him, but he, you know, his degree of difficulty on his shot making is just... I mean, I know this is like a very baseline thing to talk about from a basketball perspective, but it's it's incredible what he does, what how hard he makes these extraordinary look, or how easy yeah. he makes it look. All
1: right, last thing before we get out of here, sir. Uh, NBA Finals, best of seven, uh, here on SkyBook. Warriors minus two ninety, Raptors plus two thirty seven. Where are you putting your money?
0: all over the Warriors I would be completely shocked if they don't win this championship where are you at
1: agreed completely Uh, I'm I'm sticking with my prediction that Boogie plays and uh, Kevin Durant does not I think we'll probably see OG Ananobi back game four but I don't I don't think we're going to get to a game five is how I feel
0: wow yeah I, I don't feel that strongly about it but I would be very surprised if it does if it gets done in more than five
1: yeah, I just once this team gets going and they start taking things seriously, especially that coupled with they're playing Warriors basketball again. Yeah. You know, oh god, yeah. I, you know what? The the one thing that would be really interesting, let's say let's say Durant misses the first three, comes back game 4 to presumably wrap up the championship as with the Warriors at 3-0 and then the Warriors drop game 4 with Durant.
0: Oof that would be the ultimate <laughs> slap to the face to Durant, I think. But it would be very interesting if that's how it ended up going down. I wouldn't be surprised if he did play like off the bench just for a game just to say, like, this is my goodbye, you know?
1: Yeah. Well, I don't think he cares. I think he's already checked out. But
0: uh, Yeah, agreed.
1: That is what that is. And uh, this has been this week's episode of The Underdog. For Anshu Khanna, I'm Chris Horwoodell. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you back here next week.